Thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Marije Groen. In today's episode, within the area of fixed income, it is possible to steer the portfolio in the desired direction by using ESG building blocks. But how to combine fixed income with ESG? That's something that we'll discuss today with Paul Sims, head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco. Hi, Paul. Welcome. Hi, Maria. Thanks Good for, to have for you. Me. Great. Quite a title, I have to say. It's a, it's a mouthful. <laughs> it, it, it is quite a long title, uh, head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco, but... Um, that, that you be, you became is. fluent in this, I hear. Yes. <laughs> so we're connecting with you. You're in, in London, right? That's right. So how's the situation over there? And maybe you could briefly introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, so I'm Paul Sims. As you mentioned, I have a, a very long title of head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco. Uh, we're one of the world's largest exchange-traded fund providers. And we aim to be at the forefront of ETFs from low-cost exposures to more innovative products that you won't find elsewhere. Uh, prior to joining Invesco, I was a fixed income fund manager for around 15 years, uh, mainly focused on, on governments and inflation-linked bonds. Uh, just, you know, as you say, you know, it's obviously a very rapidly changing situation in, in London. We're all still um, working from home in general, uh, but um, interesting times. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's an understatement, I would say. Interesting times indeed. Uh, now, before we start, tell us, um, which ESG development related to fixed income do you think has been accelerated by the crisis? You know, I, I don't think there's just one single factor uh, that the coronavirus has, has caused to speed up. I, th- I think there's been a general pickup in ESG interest, you know, and that, that goes across the board on all asset classes, whether it's equities um, to commodities with it, with interest in responsibly sourced gold through to fixed income. But, uh, you know, I think the real thing that has happened is that the, the market volatility has allowed investors to, to change their asset allocation and Within that, when they're selecting new products, they are looking to go uh, towards the greener side of, of what is available. So I, I think this, this reallocation has really been, been an, an opportunity for investors to maybe look at what they're holding and what they would like to be holding and, and use it as a, a way of changing things. You know, to put that in perspective, you know, we there's a lot of volatility in the first quarter this year, a lot of uh, selling across the board in, in financial markets. Uh, but we had a big turnaround from from the end of March onwards. Uh, there's been around 25 billion of, of net new assets in EMEA ETFs, uh, fixed income ETFs, um, which is around a nine percent increase on where we were at the end of last year. However, if you look at the breakdown between ESG and non-ESG within that space, overall, as I say, is up around nine percent. ESG is up around 25%. So you can see that there's a, a quite marked difference between uh, the, the allocation decisions that are being made. And we're seeing a very similar theme in, in equity space as well. Yeah, because would you say that it's even more important for a fixed income uh, investor to consider ESG than it is for an equity investor? Well, I'd certainly say it's it's definitely as important. Um, you know, as a, as a fixed income investor, you are lending money to companies or governments, and you want to make sure that you're you're able to get your your money back at the end. You need to make sure that that company you're investing in has the ability to to service the the interest costs on an ongoing basis, pay its coupon annually, and also then to repay its principal at the the end at, at maturity. And you know, within that, ESG uh, criteria are becoming more and more important. Um, you know, I think we're seeing more clarity, more data around the, the ESG sector in fixed income. It, it sort of lagged the equity side of things. But in 2017, S&P uh, 
produced a study that found that environmental and climate factors uh, had influenced their ratings on, on around 10% of the universe that they'd, they'd given a credit rating to, which was double the amount uh, they they had from two years prior when they did the previous study. So you can see the, the ongoing impact of, of ESG criteria is actually having a material impact on credit ratings as well now. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been a shift from investors who now see ESG as a significant uh, fixed income strategy. What explains the turnaround in your view? As I say, you know, I think ESG for fixed income has lagged the, the development in equities. Um, you know, there's there's a number of reasons for that, that the ownership and, and influence you get uh, through the voting rights in, in equity ownership. Um, but, you know, there has been a significant increase in interest in, in fixed income in, in recent times. Um, you know, I think this is an area that, that regulators are starting to look at more closely. And that's in driving, you know, the increase in transparency in, in ESG criteria in fixed income. You know, there's there are several companies providing ESG scores for bonds now in a similar manner to, to just overall credit ratings. And the universe of coverage is is constantly increasing. And this has allowed, you know, ESG indices to be developed with a, a high degree of transparency, um, you know, about the ESG criteria being used. And that's useful in developing passive ESG solutions in fixed income. Um, you know, if, if I just sort of put some perspective on that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, by the end of 2018, there were, I think, 18 uh, ESG, fixed income ESG ETFs in the EMEA space. And that's roughly doubled over the last 18 months. So you can see a rapid growth in, in that fixed income ESG yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. And and I believe also the debate about the impact of ESG in the fixed income performance has been shifting. And, and why do you think that is? Again, this comes down to sort of the increased coverage and, and the data available. You know, we, we didn't have enough data until a few years ago. And, and as that data set builds up, we're seeing uh, more and more impact of the, the ESG criteria on performance. I, I mentioned that S&P study, which showed that um, ESG criteria are influencing their, their overall credit ratings. Uh, more recently, a, a Bloomberg study showed uh, look, looked at the uh, performance of U.S. corporate bonds during the, the crisis. As I say, there was, there was a big sell-off in, in February, um, February through to late March, until central banks really stepped in, and they analysed how the different um, ESG scores, how they would have performed during that that downturn. And what they found is that uh, the higher the ESG score on a bond in in U.S. corporate space, the less uh, the smaller the drawdown was. So actually, the ESG score. You know, con- contributed to, to a little bit of a, a safety in in that that time. You know, it, the drawdowns weren't as great, so having a higher ESG score in your portfolio would have benefited. Mm. Yeah, well, clear. Uh, um, obtaining quality data, monitoring holdings, uh, sourcing qualified investments. I think I think all those things are not easy <laughs> when it comes to uh, implementing the ESG policies. Um, as an investor, how do you deal with this? How how do you cope with this environment? Again, as I just mentioned, historically, the lack of data, the lack of transparency within fixed income has been an issue and, and can remain that way for many active strategies where, where it's harder to see what the the actual ESG criteria are for that active strategy. As ESG coverage has increased, it's been possible, as I say, you know, for, for more fixed income indices to be developed um, with transparent ESG methodologies uh, included in them. So investors know exactly, you know, how the index is designed, what is going to be included and what is going to be excluded. 
And that transparency of index design is, is just ideal from, from my world. You know, the, the idea of building out uh, fixed income ETFs, you know, if you have indices, you can look at them, you can help design them and you can build that out. So, you know, I, th- I think that that transparent nature of ETFs as a business, the passive tracking, the fact that our, our holdings are, are published daily, combined with, with overall increased uh, transparency of data in ESG space is just allowing you know further product development, and it, it makes ETFs a great first step for for investors in the fixed income ESG space. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, we've worked closely with the Bloomberg on these, uh, and they have a, a, a collaboration with MSCI to incorporate their ESG data into uh, their fixed income indices to be able to create a you know a an ESG. Um, enhanced fixed income index. Hmm. So in short, more transparency provides more clarity. Indeed, yes. Just, it, it, yeah. It's about knowledge, yeah. building up knowledge, building up data and building up that familiarity with, with how the ESG scores work and, and how you can improve the ESG score uh, within, a, within an index uh, without actually being you know, overly complicated. Mm-hmm. Now, two new areas that could potentially take center stage in ESG fixed income are uh, green bonds and development bank debt. How do you look at that uh, development? Again, you know, as with all ESG products, that there's been a huge amount of uh, increased interest in this area over the last uh, few years. Um, you know, if you look at the green bond space, it you know realistically it started around 2008 uh, and has grown to around 800 billion dollars um, in issue today so huge amounts of growth and you know overall they're a fantastic way for certain green projects to be uh, financed from my perspective you know i the the one thing i'd say about green bonds is that they're they're quite narrow in their focus you know they they are designed there to finance environmental projects um that, that you know, that there's a great place for them. It's a great way of financing those projects, but it's, it's a, a relatively narrow focus. You know, from my perspective, I, I would sort of look at incorporating ESG more broadly into um, an overall, uh, you know, a corporate bond index or or a global index, just because it, it's going to have a greater impact overall. You know, if, if you look at the comparison, uh, as I say, there's about 800 billion of green bonds in issue. Uh, Bloomberg have a, a green, a global green bond index, which covers around um, half a trillion in market cap. If you compare that with the the global ag, the Bloomberg Global Aggregate uh, Index, that's covering sixty three trillion in market cap. So you can see the difference in impact. If you can apply your ESG criteria to a broader index, you're going to have a greater impact overall. Hmm. And do you think it's possible to construct a fully diversified and an ESG compliant fixed income portfolio that not only delivers on that social responsibility, but of course also on the performance? What are your views? Yes, indeed. Uh, and that's the balance that needs to be decided upon. So, you know, in general, if you look at um, the the different shades of green from lighter through to darker, you, you get different uh, characteristics. So, you know, the greater the, the increase in ESG score, normally the greater the tracking difference will be, the tracking error will be relative to a broad non-ESG index. Uh, you know, so you could look at a, a relatively light ESG index, such as an ESG screened index, which will just have uh, some exclusions. Uh, that will be a you know a, a relatively small increase in ESG score relative to a, a non-ESG index, but its characteristics will be very similar, and its performance will, will tend to be quite similar. You then move through to something that's that's much darker green in its nature, a, a sustainable index. And that will have both exclusions of the worst companies 
according to ESG criteria, but it will also have not just those negative screens, it will have positive screens as well to only include the best in class. Now, by doing so, you, you narrow the universe quite dramatically. And by doing so, by, by making it a much narrower universe, you will increase that tracking error relative to a, a broad non-ESG index. So, you know, there's a balance to be struck between, you know, how green do you want to be and how much tracking can you accept versus a base index? And, you know, from, from our perspective, we, we, you know, we worked uh, closely with Bloomberg on a design of an index where we exclude the worst companies, those with a zero score in, in ESG rating, and those that are involved in certain um, uh, certain businesses that uh, you wouldn't want to, to include in your uh, your index, such as um, military uh, weapons and, and civilian firearms. Uh, but then we've also added a tilt to the rest of the portfolio. So we don't exclude or we don't go to just best in class and, and have a positive screen, but we have a tilt towards the uh, higher ESG scoring uh, issuers in, in that index. And in doing so, we're, we're getting a broad index that has very similar characteristics to a base index, but is giving you a material increase in ESG score. So we, we think there's a nice balance there. Hmm. Now, fixed income investing is primarily about diversifying the risks that are associated more with equity investing. Does it mean that ESG considerations are mainly a risk mitigation exercise? Well, you know, from from my perspective as a fixed income specialist, I, I would say there's a lot more to fixed income than just just diversifying the risks associated with equity investing. But um, you know, within, within fixed income, ESG goes further than just just risk mitigation. ESG to me is is more about that that responsible ownership. You know, the the asset management industry has a duty to use its its influence for the greater good, and and whether that's through engagement on the equity side um, or creating green benchmarks for passive fixed income investors, that you know it, that will put pressure on companies to change their behaviour if they exist inside you know more indices, the green indices. It, it you know th- there's going to be uh, more more desire to own those bonds. They're going to exist in more indices, which just helps those companies out on their cost of financing. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if we look around the world, I think almost every country has at least one problematic ESG issue, whether it's the nuclear power generation in France, the death penalty uh, in the US or human rights in China, just to name a few. Does this make sustainable investment in government bonds extra complicated in your view? You know, the difference between countries is, is quite interesting it's, it is quite difficult in in some ways um it does make it difficult from from the perspective of creating an index or an etf um to get something that will work for investors across several different countries you know you you know you look at nuclear power some countries are are in favor of it some are against it so so trying to get a product that suits all can be quite difficult for government bonds specifically um i've mentioned the the msei collaboration collaboration with bloomberg on on the corporate side MSCI also do have a process for rating government debt um, and rating government. So it is possible to create ESG versions of government bond indices too. Um, there's obviously slightly a slightly different way of looking at it, looking at governments or, or countries relative to, to companies. Um, so the environmental criteria include things like the country's natural resources and, and the ability to harness or, or protect those resources. Uh, the social side uh, will look at human capital and the ability to develop a healthy workforce and, and maintain that healthy workforce. And governance is, is really looking at the political, financial and uh, sorry, yeah, financial and judicial um, systems within the country, you know, to ensure that there's going to be stability. So you can take these criteria 
at a broad level and apply them to governments in a similar way that you do to, to corporates uh, just has to have slightly different um, definitions of what those uh, criteria are. Hmm. Right, right, right. So you provide a framework nevertheless, and but then you look at the countries separately to see how those apply. Exactly. And as I say, yeah. you know, this is the ETF and, uh, you know, the index design and the, and the way ETFs are designed to, to track an index is very much about the transparency. So, you know, investors may agree or disagree with the disagree. exact methodology, but they, they can at least see exactly what what the ETF is trying to do. And, and hopefully by doing so, and also engagement with our investors, we can you know continue to improve those. Right, right. Uh, now, one thing that may be preventing faster ESG adoption is the perceived absence of suitable instruments. How do you look at that? Again, you know, I, I mentioned at the start the, the rapid growth of um, ESG and fixed income uh, more recently. You know, it has lagged equity development over the previous years, but it is definitely um, rapidly increasing now. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, a couple of years ago, the end of 2018, uh, there were, I think, 18 um, fixed income ESG ETFs. There's now around double that number, you know, so there's been rapid growth in, in that space. And what that's really doing, it, it's doing a, a couple of things as you're, you're bringing a wider choice to the market. So when there are only a few ESG products out there, investors might have looked at it and said they, they wanted the, the ESG fixed income solution, but the one that was available wasn't quite right. With a wider choice, you know, as I, as I mentioned, you, know, you, you have this these various shades of, of ESG screened at the light end of the scale through to sustainable indices at, at the much uh, heavier uh, ESG scores uh, on the other end of the scale. And investors can really choose where to position themselves now along that scale. So, we're getting to a stage where there's kind of a an ESG solution for all. Now, what yeah. that's doing, if, as, as I mentioned, you know, we are now seeing on the, the reallocations that have happened around uh, the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, uh, investors are choosing those green solutions. So I think, you know, it's kind of a, um, you know, it as there are more products there, there becomes more interest. And that then means that more products are developed which increases interest again. So, you know, we're, we're kind of at the tipping point for fixed income, uh, for ESG and fixed income at the moment, in, in my opinion. You know, we're, we're, we're just on that cusp of uh, seeing, you know, really, really heavy inflows that we've seen in, in equity markets over the last few years. Mm. Uh, now, as a final item in this uh, podcast of today, let's take a moment to discuss engagement and fixed income investing. Uh, bondholders do not have voting rights. According to you, should engagement actually be part of ESG integration efforts? Yes, it should. Um, you know, once again, uh, the engagement, the, the idea of engagement, I think, is an area that's lagged in fixed income relative to equities, which is also, you know, potentially why um, ESG has lagged in, in fixed income space relative to equities over the last few years. If you look at the UN principles of responsible investment, um, they encourage investors to be active stewards of their investments, whether they're in equities or, or fixed income. It doesn't matter on the, the asset class. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, ESG criteria can affect performance. So engaging and encouraging issuers of debt to do the right thing could enhance the performance of, of your investment. It should also lead uh, to investors having a better understanding of their debt issuers. You know, the, the improved ESG disclosures by companies, mitigating financial risks would all be a, a you know, a positive outcome from an investor's point of view. So, you know, I think everything that sort of leads to that that 
inclusion of ESG criteria into fixed income is beneficial, you know, and the, you going that step further with engagement will only improve uh, the transparency and, and the understanding of that area. Thank you very much, Paul. That's quite right. I would like to thank today's guest, Paul Sims, head of EMEA ETF Fixed Income Product Management at Invesco. This podcast about fixed income and ESGs offered to you by Invesco. It was recorded as part of a series dedicated to the Fonts Event 2020 Strategy Shift. For more podcasts, please visit fontsevent.nl. And if you'd like to know more about fixed income and ESG, please check out the Invesco website, invesco.nl. Belangrijke informatie. Deze publicatie is uitsluitend bedoeld voor professionele beleggers en adviseurs. De visie en opinie van Paul Sims is gebaseerd op de huidige marktomstandigheden en kunnen onderhevig zijn aan veranderingen zonder kennisgeving. Deze opinies kunnen afwijken van andere Invesco-professionals. Dit document is niet bedoeld als aanbeveling om te beleggen in een bepaalde activa-klasse, effecten of strategie. Regelgevingsvereisten die de onpartijdigheid van aanbevelingen voor investerings- of investeringsstrategieën vereisen, zijn derhalve niet van toepassing, evenmin als verbodsbepalingen in zaken handel voor publicatie. Deze informatie is uitgegeven voor Nederland door Invesco Asset Management.